Welcome to Cook It. We're Drea and Renee, friends who love to cook and bake. Though we are busy with six kids combined, we still take time to meal plan and make home-cooked meals for our families. Today, we're wrapping up Sister Pie by Lisa Ludwinski and find we're going to be letting you all know what our next cookbook will be. So to start things off, I had the pleasure of uh, having a chat with Lisa herself, and we chatted about Sister Pie. Uh, so joining me today is Lisa Ladwinski, the author of Sister Pie and owner of uh, the uh, bakery, I believe it's by the same name in Detroit. Am I right, Lisa? You are right. Awesome. Uh, so Drea and I have been cooking from your cookbook uh, the last few episodes, and we have been having a blast. Uh, I think our first big question for you is, how do you perfect that crimp? Her and I have both been working really hard trying to get our pies to look as beautiful as yours. And I don't know about Drea's latest attempts, but I know like we've been having a bit of a struggle and we're wondering if you can give us and our listeners some tips on how to get that crimp to stay just right through uh, the blind bake process and the bake process. Yeah, I think you know, one great way of making that happen is to get a job as a pie baker for a while. <laughs> I think it's something that requires so much repetition. Um, and that's really how I got to be, you know, that's how I sort of got to be good at, at doing crimps at all. But, you know, if, you, if you're not able to get a job in the pie business, um, I think uh, there's a couple of tips I can share. Now, one thing is making sure that you roll out your crust really evenly so that when you go to have that extra inch and a half or so of dough that's hanging over the rim of the pie dish, that you can really roll that up and create a nice kind of thick ring of dough so that you have enough dough to work with to begin with. So that's okay. super important. Um, making sure that the dough is very, very cold during that process will also help because once you get to the point of crimping, the dough is often starting to break a little bit or the butter is seeping out. And so if, if your dough got a little too warm during the rollout process, you might wanna you know, put it in the pan, but then let it hang out in the fridge for five or 10 minutes before you bring it back out to crimp. That can kind of oh, help. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and then I think one thing that we really subscribe to are these ideas of, of big crimps. So- um, yeah. I, I They're usually so to gorgeous. Yeah, I think I first I first learned kind of about the big crimp when I worked at Four and Twenty Blackbirds in Brooklyn, and I've been pretty into creating our own version of that ever since. And so we aim for about fourteen to sixteen crimps per pie, I think. So that kind of helps you understand the size that we're going for when you when you practice at home. Um, and, and the size of the crimps is really what helps the crimps maintain their shape after the blind bake. Because a lot of times, and particularly with this pie dough recipe, you know, it has a tendency to, to kind of really puff up and flake. And so when you've got a smaller crimp, um, when it bakes, it kind of disappears. The crimp becomes just, it looks like a ring of dough again. And so if you had those bigger crimps, then you can you can ensure that they're really going to show up after the blind bake. Yeah, I love the idea that 
we're looking at a number. So between four and 14 and 16 crimps, that gives something like quantitative to look at as because everyone's fingers are kind of different shapes and sizes, right? So it, to have a number to go by, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I love that you mentioned four and 20 blackbirds. Um, my, uh, my sister-in-law-to-be just asked me, because I guess they've also released a cookbook, and she, uh, she was looking through my sister pie book while she was visiting, and she said, oh, have you heard of four and 20 blackbirds? And I had only heard of it referenced in your book. Um, so it's it. I love that uh, that 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 came, kind of came out too. Yeah, <laughs> that's twice in one week. I feel like it means I need to now invest in in their cookbook as well. Love that it. it's come out in conversation. <laughs> well, I think their cookbook is probably a good um, partner to our cookbook because I think it, it's inevitably true that I I was inspired by them from I just worked there for like a minute in time. But it was enough to to really take away a lot in my pie uh, education. Yeah. Um, now, so in going through your book, uh, we've noticed that you use some different thickeners for your pie over the traditional ones. So you use a lot of tapioca and fine cornmeal. What makes what made you make that choice in terms of thickener for your pies? The cornmeal is easy answer. That is because it's the, it's the traditional ingredient in chess pies. Um, okay. so Southern style chess pie, which mostly consists of, you know, sugar, cream, and eggs. Um, and I actually, to mention four and 20 blackbirds again, when I worked at both there and at milk bar in Brooklyn, they, were the places that kind of introduced me to the idea of a chess pie and they own, they each had their own versions of what a chess pie was or their own interpretations. And so when I created our salted maple pie, it had cornmeal in it. And I liked what it did for the pie flavor so much, not even just the texture, but the flavor of the cornmeal that we get from a local farm here is incredible. And so it brings kind of a uniqueness and a, a richness even to our pies. And so I love cornmeal for that, for like sort of the flavor it brings, but also the traditional, um, the traditional role it plays in Southern style chess pie. And so we basically use cornmeal in almost all the recipes that aren't fruit recipes, because most yeah. of the recipes are kind of rooted in this concept of a chess pie. And nice. That just going to that salted maple pie, it was actually one of the recipes that we cooked uh, and talked about. It was so amazing. And so I live in um, southern Quebec and or kind of southwestern Quebec. And Drea lives in southeastern Ontario, Canada. And so we are prime location to get like the best maple syrup and mine is local. Uh, so wow. we really, we did you proud with that salted maple pie. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I wish I could try it. Um, that'd be so cool to like have a salted maple gathering where everyone brings maple oh. from different areas. Yeah. Maybe one day after the pandemic is over. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the tapioca starch. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember how I first stumbled upon it. Um, maybe just in my early pie research days. But I had definitely baked a lot of pie in my 
early 20s using cornstarch or even flour. Yeah. And when I learned about tapioca and experimented with it, I loved that it didn't impart any sort of flavor whatsoever. I feel like with cornstarch, you can still taste a little a little something there. Um, but yeah. also produced a texture that wasn't too gelled. So I don't like yes. having a big pie and then you slice into it and it looks like the filling came out of a can. You know, I'm not looking for yeah. sort of texture. And I think you run the risk of getting that texture more with cornstarch than you do with tapioca starch or tapioca flour, as some call it. And so it it really does a good job of creating this naturally thickened pie. And um, I love it. We also yeah, we like thickened sauces and things like that, too. Okay. We made a, we made a couple, I think I made a fruit pie and Drea also, um, made the blueberry pie, the blueberry rhubarb pie. Um, so I noticed I made the rhubarb, uh, with the, I think it has a rosemary, uh, inspired crumble on top. And I definitely noticed that, yeah, it didn't have that typical gelled slice but it was nice because it was like you got that real true fruit essence totally yeah yeah i'm glad um so my next question is kind of um around your roots so you had a whole section in the book on and i might not be pronouncing it right but paxi the p-a-c-k-z-i Am I like, oh my gosh, murdering? <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, <laughs> Poonchki. Poonchki. Okay. Yeah. Well. <laughs> like, uh, are we talking about the same book? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Poonchki, uh, which I did some research and that uh, has like kind of a Polish background. And then um, you had a recipe... Uh, so what we were just wondering was like, is that kind of like a family history background of like Eastern European or like, where are kind of some of that, where is that inspiration coming from? Pretty much if you grew up in Metro Detroit, you punchki for Lent, um, or, or, or on Ash Wednesday. So before Lent, and I mean, I went to Catholic school for a lot of my childhood and so Punchki was very much a part of, of those days. But basically, yes, it does have Eastern European roots. And I, I do happen to be part Polish. Um, obviously, my last name gives it away. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't say that my family in, in particular had any special relationship with Punchki. Um, but it's just, it is such a part of the culture here. I think people celebrate well, most people would call it Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras. Yeah. But in Metro Detroit, it's it's solely known as Punchki Day. And oh. it is insane. I mean, like people line up in Hamtramck, um, you know, down the block to get Punchki. And it's something that people really like. It's like they kind of treat it like St. Patrick's Day almost. Like some people will take the day off work and just completely eat a ton of punchki. Um, I've known people who like get drunk and eat them. Um, I didn't even really like them that much as a kid because they're always filled with a lot of jelly or custard. Yeah. And I was more of like a cider donut kind of person. Um, I don't okay. always love a filled donut. So I didn't eat them that much as a kid. And then when I moved to New York, I lived there for six years and, and we didn't 
really have Kluszki there. And you could maybe find them if you went to some of the Polish bakeries in Greenpoint, but it was by no means such a big deal anywhere else that I'd ever been than in Metro Detroit. And I think actually nowadays it's becoming more popular in other places, maybe because our food culture is more accessible through the internet. Um, you know, so people, I, I've seen it pop up uh, across the country a little bit more. But when I started Sister Pie, I thought, well, it'd be really fun if we kind of did a non-traditional spin on these classics. And that's yeah. what we started doing and we've been doing it ever since. And it's a real stressful time because <laughs> we don't usually <laughs> make donuts, but um, it's it's a really fun and unique part of living in this part of Michigan. That's awesome. I just, I had focused on reading through the recipes and I'm just reading now on page 208 where you do indicate how we spell it or how we pronounce it. So uh, I'm such a little dork, but um, these, like these recipes, like especially the grapefruit hibiscus punchy, like they look so delicious, but with it being so hot out right now, I have been avoiding baking like big like long and these these kind of scare me I'm gonna be real honest but it's something I want to kind of try like on a slow winter's day or something I think that's a great idea maybe maybe <laughs> do it next year for punchki day yeah no exactly no I'll do it yeah exactly um and so in going through like the recipes in this book like they all have such distinct flavor combinations. Like I just mentioned the grapefruit hibiscus punchki, um, but we also made uh, the jasmine tea scones. Mm. Uh, I made the fennel seed snickerdoodles, the rosemary in the rhubarb crumb top. Like these are amazing, like so tasty combinations how are you, like, where does your mind go to, to think up such awesome combinations? Oh, good question. I mean, <laughs> I think with a lot of it, like in particular, the, the stuff that's seasonal. So like the rhubarb pie, um, it has to do with the fact that I'm limited creatively because I'm deciding to bake seasonally. So like I have rhubarb as my choice, and so that kind of opens me up then. So I've already got this one big thing established. And so then I just get to kind of daydream about flavors that I like and kind of wonder about how they would go with um, with the main flavor. And so it's either like that. Um, and when we're, when we're doing fruit flavors, you know, we're usually inspired by fresh herbs and citrus or nuts and seeds and edible flowers and alternative flowers. And then when we're doing things like the cookies, I think a lot of it is like, let's take this traditional cookie, like a snickerdoodle, for example, and think yeah. about an element that we could change to make it just like a memorable experience. Um, and so that's how we approach it. We're not trying to make food for novelty's sake or like, oh, is this so weird? And we want you to try it or whatever. You know, it's more just like, hey, let's make something that has some familiarity to it. So you'll want to eat it. That's still accessible, but let's just let's just uh, use another flavor to incorporate some. I think like whimsy into it. Yeah, 
Well, it's working for you. Those fennel seeds and gerdoodle cookies went down like gangbusters with my entire family. So, and I mean, everything that I've baked from here, even the buckwheat chocolate chip cookies, those were so good too. Um, It's just, it's been so fun going through and exploring this entire book. Uh, One of the last recipes I made was the um, caramelized onion Mm. delicata squash and sage hand pies now I tried and tried and tried and I couldn't find delicata squash this time of year anywhere so I did replace that with uh sweet potato Mm. but they were still so good and your pie crust bakes up so nicely it's just and it's uh I think Drea said it like it's a joy to work with like it's it does what you want it to do um yeah it's wow it's it's been awesome to go through this book um and i'm happy to see like it doesn't like it looks like from your instagram feed and your social media that you've been finding creative ways to work around um the pandemic and like kind of the extra constraints and and then on top of all of that the civil unrest that we've been experiencing um how are you and your staff kind of dealing with that in your brick and mortar location? It's been quite a journey. Um, I think right now it feels like we're in a good place. We've had our most of our employees back for about a month because um, like the first two months that we were in the pandemic, we were running like three of us were basically running a little grocery store out of sister pie. And then we got a paycheck protection loan um, from the SBA and that allowed us to start to bring our employees back. And so right now, most of our employees are working, you know, less than half of the hours that they worked before, but we're able to pay them full-time wages. So it's working out well because we're able to kind of mitigate risk as much as possible and, and try to keep people safe and distant Um, But we're also still keeping the business going and able to serve our customers and our neighbors. And we haven't allowed any customers inside the shop since March. So that's also been kind of a good move on our parts because we don't have to, you know, we only have to try to get people to wear masks outside. (laughs) Um, Yeah. We're grateful that, you know, we're not a sit down restaurant. So like we don't have that, that sort of stress. Um, we are much more suited for this sort of takeout, carryout style of business. And so I'm really, really grateful for that and um, grateful for my staff who are not only here working, but are always willing to give feedback and participate and help the business kind of, you know, be strong during this time while kind of taking care of ourselves and each other. And so it's just like, you know, every day feels a little bit different. Um, and it's, it's hard to be planning for any sort of future, but we're just kind of leaning into that right now. And, um, that's where we're at. So I feel, I feel definitely like we're in a good position and we've, we've gotten a lot of support around us. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Wow. You're, you're a phenomenal baker, but also like such an amazing businesswoman. So like, my hat's off to you, you know, uh, and again, this cookbook is just amazing. Uh, once, maybe when the borders open back up, 
I do, I have traveled through Detroit before. Uh, usually it's passing through going uh, to central Illinois, but I'll have to put Sister Pie on my stop <laughs> list yeah. so that I can grab a treat. So um, the, this has That'd been be amazing. Like, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me and asking or, and allowing me to ask you questions um, about your book. Uh, I know Dre and I, like I said in the beginning, like we absolutely loved cooking through Sister Pie. It's going to, it will be a staple on my shelf uh, for sure. Uh, I, I've kind of made myself, self-named myself the family pie person for like all of our big family gatherings. So I'll be going back to this one over and over again for pies, but also for the ham pies and the cookies and the salads. Like I tried your celery and radish and parsley salad oh my god it was amazing oh and I learned I finally (laughs) this is very embarrassing but I finally learned that capers are not a fish (laughs) they're actually oh my god I've spent over 30 years of my life assuming that a caper (laughs) is a salty fish so but you're yeah yeah crazy (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but your recipe inspired me to be like, I'm gonna find out what this is. And I like read it. And I'm like, dude, this sounds delicious. So um, it has been such a joy. So thank you. So that was ah. our chat with Lisa. What a wonderful <laughs> interview. Great job, Renee. Thanks. It was really fun chatting with her. She was so down to earth. Um, and just not she was it was I don't know what I expected whenever, you know, going into the interview, but she was so much cooler than I anticipated, you know? So from her writing, I get the sense that she's like pretty chill and uh, approachable. Yeah. She just really loves food and loves to care for people with food. And yeah, it was fun. So how did, uh, how did, what did we think of this book? How did it line up with your cooking and the ingredients and all of that stuff? I am an enthusiast. I will probably go back to this book. I'll go back to this book a few times because uh, it really lines up with how I like to bake and cook. Like the recipes are really pretty straightforward and they're really delicious. And I just really enjoyed making the recipes like you're right. It really slows you down, takes you through the process of making like delicious baked goods. And everything I made was actually delicious. I know, right? All the flavors and stuff, the combinations were so good. Um, did you find any of the, the ingredients hard to find or like there was like, accessible? Um, there was a few things that I didn't have in my cupboard. Like I don't have packages of edible flowers and nor was I in the mood to go out and find them, but I just skipped them and they seem like a lot of the time that sort of stuff seems entirely optional. There was one that, um, the spranola, I wanted to make the sister pie granola and, uh, it calls for buckwheat groats and I didn't have those. Again, I didn't want to go out and buy them, but otherwise, like the ingredients I had in my cupboard or I could find very easily, I feel like it's pretty accessible that way. 
Yeah. The only one that I had trouble with was the delicata squash for the caramelized onion mm-hmm. and delicata squash hand pies. But I think that's partially because this book is really based on seasonal ingredients and their availability mm-hmm. and delicata squash. It's really hard to say. It just <laughs> wasn't ready yet. So yeah. um, the sweet potato sub worked out well and that just means I can make them all year round because sweet potatoes are available all year round. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a list in the front too, right? That says like springtime pies, fall pies. So it really breaks it out. So you can tell like when things are going to be ready. Yeah. But -hmm. it worked out well because I was able to get my hands on some killer cherries for that sour bourbon cherry pie. Ooh. Yeah. I had not even considered making that one, but I love cherries. Yeah, it mm. uh, it turned out really well. I cooked, uh, you know, a few extra recipes just because they really intrigued me. And I can't mm-hmm. remember if I told you or not, but I made that one. And I also made the fennel seed snickerdoodles. Mm-hmm. Did you, you did tell me. Um, and then over this past weekend, I actually made the sweet beet pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have the page in front of me. It's it's near the front of the book, uh, just before or after our honey lemon meringue pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? If you like a good fall pie, that pie you should make it. Sorry, which one is it? The sweet beet pie, and it's mm. on page one fourteen. How much so, beet do we need? We need eight ounces of beet, which is roughly two to three nice-sized beets. And is it sweet? Uh, It actually is. Um, It's not overly sweet, though. So um, if you add, like, a nice um, whipped topping to it, it would be Mm. just that, like, added little, like, super sweetness. But no, it's actually kind of got that flavor tone of a pumpkin pie where it's Mm. not overly sweet, um, but it's got a little bit of that earthy beet flavor. Um, I made it and I really liked it. The family didn't, like it didn't win them over, but they're also super picky and don't like pumpkin pie. But Mm -hmm. I shared it around with a few neighbors and I would say it got a pass because over 50% of the people that I shared it with enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. I mean, some adventurous flavors are hard for people. Like, they like what they like, and their mashed potato and steak kind of, or meat and potatoes kind of people, so. Yeah. And I also whizzed the the roasted beet up in the new food processor, Mm. finally. How did it go? It went so well. I finally cracked it out whenever I made that, and I also made pesto all in the same day. So I put it through the ringer and it was fun, fun, fun. It just, it purrs like a kitten. It's not even I working know. hard. It's amazing. I know. It does that thing where it poofs up the ingredients and you're just like, yeah, power. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, I haven't gotten mine out in a little while, but I think for our next secret recipe book, I'll have to use it to process some things. So, uh, you. It sounds like you made a lot of stuff from this recipe book. I'm looking and I made the salted maple pie. I made those waffles, the roasted asparagus and potato waffles, the honey lemon pie. I made the buckwheat chocolate chip cookies, the blueberry 
rhubarb blossom pie. Yeah. The scones, jasmine scones. I also made the cream cheese radish and dill scones and the yeah. grapefruit patch keys. And there's still like so many more recipes that I would like to try. I know. I have so, so many, many more. more. In fact, flagged. there's a couple of hand pies that I like. I didn't venture into the hand pie section, but like that caramelized onion and delicata mm-hmm. squash. It looks really good. I'm not a huge fan of sage, but I think in this application it would be good. It and uh, what else? Oh, there was another one. There was like a feta, sweet potato, black bean, and feta hand pie. But I was yeah. like, those will be adult lunches, I think. And then there's a pea and potato. And I was like, oh, no, the kids would definitely eat that. For sure. Although you just got you got to get them through the crust and then they'll yeah. love it. Yeah. And I still want to try those waffles that you made. And I also mm-hmm. want to make some of the punchkis that are, that she has in here, like the maple coffee cream and then the grapefruit hibiscus one mm-hmm. all up in them. That makes sense. There's a rose pistachio shortbread that I also have listed, but I'm like, where do I get rose petals? With grace I don't petals. know. I don't know. I didn't even look, I think. Let's see. I was thinking about buying, they have lavender, but I, I, uh, you know, like floral is pretty hard because mm-hmm. if you overdo it, then it just tastes like potpourri and I really don't want to ruin a whole a whole batch of cookies with my floral flavors. Yes. So I'm a little hesitant to like dive into those, but it doesn't look like they have dried rose petals. I've used lavender. I actually have food grade lavender um, like in my cupboard um, just because we have a lavender farm nearby and I had gotten mm-hmm. it for a craft, but it's also food grade. So um, mm. I've used it in a couple things and it, Lavender at least adds like a really almost kind of rosemary edge to stuff mm-hmm. without it being like rosemary pungent. Hmm. Yeah. And I bought a lavender plant. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, when I was in the store. Um, nice. I saw them, the perennials, and they looked super nice. And I'm going to plant it so that I can have lavender all year round and I can try and dry it if I get enough gumption to do so I have to admit that I do not like lavender like the smell so that's why I didn't buy it oh my gosh you know it's just not it's just not for me I'm adding that to my notes of things that Drea does not care for so that I don't ever bring you lavender stuff you know what I would probably like like it to eat but I just I don't know why I don't like it to smell. And I assume that it tastes the way it smells, which not everything is actually like that. Not everything tastes the way you think it will based on the smell. But um, yeah, I just don't, uh, I don't know. Probably bad memories from something. I'm like, ooh, smells like someone. Well, I, I don't know. Like, like a lavender candle or like that mm-hmm. perfumey lavender is not... And like that lavender smell, I am not a fan of. But I like the plant plant. Yeah. Like it's not hyper sweet that it hurts your nose. Yeah. I think I would like the rose because I do find it's so subtle. And it depending on how much you use, it doesn't really taste like much. 
You know, it's just got that like that yeah. waft. I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I'm going to order some rose petals and make these freaking cookies because they look beautiful. Yeah, they so. do. The little square, they're so cute. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. Like this one ticks the boxes for me because it's got all the beautiful photography. Even when you think something shouldn't look beautiful, it does. Like she makes hand pie filling look phenomenal. Yeah. I don't know how she does it. And like even her cookies are really cute. The salted rosemary shortbread. She's got the little cutout in the middle. And I'm like, oh, and she's got like her food photography is really nice. Even it if is. they're just little pictures. It is. And one of our things that we usually talk about is like special dietary needs. But when we're talking pie, like if you're talking a good pie dough, it's got butter and it's got gluten. So I, well, maybe not. She's got, does she have a buckwheat dough? She does, but I think it uses both. Okay. There's like an apple cheddar hand pie, uh, rye. One second. I always confuse rye and buckwheat. Those are not yeah. the same. Rye is Although her, her cookies, the um, buckwheat chocolate chip, she yeah. does. She made a point to not use other uh, flour because she wanted them to be gluten free. So she only uses buckwheat. Yeah, it looks like when she makes like the cornmeal rose galette dough and the aged gouda pie dough, they they do still have all purpose flour in them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's hard to. Yeah. I don't know if a pie is a good place like even to dry gluten free. You can do vegan pie dough with like corn, not corn, with coconut okay. oil. Yeah. Or with just olive oil, but it's like so hard to work with and their texture is just, I don't think it's the same. Yeah. But I like that this book didn't try and bend that way. Mm -hmm. It would have made probably some of the ingredients, you know, way less accessible. And it Mm -hmm. also would have made some of the recipes way more expensive to make if we're having to try specialty stuff. As it is. I will say these are not cheap recipes because you have to buy like a lot of filling ingredients. And I went a little wild and bought the European butter for the pie crust. Oh, yeah. I will (laughs) tell you, it was worth the splurge because it made it so easy to handle because normally pie dough heats up really fast in my in my um, kitchen. Yeah. And and I have like warm hands. So. The, sorry, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) The European butter melts at a higher temperature. So it stays colder longer and is easier to work and handle and shape and stuff. So I splurged and I think it was well worth it. That's so fun. See, I didn't, but if I was making like a real special one, like that cornmeal rose galette or like Mm -hmm. something where like the, and I mean, the crust takes center stage in any pie, but mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I can't do it. I can't splurge on the super expensive butter on for all of the baking that I do. But yeah. every once in a while, uh, I will, ugh, I can't even speak. I will crack, mm-hmm. I will buy some. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I made those for the freezer. So I bought a couple all at once and then I just made the dough and I'm like, these are going to be the best pies ever. They will be. Spoiler, yes. they are. It's a delicious, <laughs> delicious pie recipe. 
her crest is like the one I will use from now on probably. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I really don't... like I have I'm not so my mom is very pie dough loyal and she uses this super old Amish recipe and that's the only pie dough she ever makes. I mm-hmm. am not pie dough loyal and I will, you know, if I am cooking a pie from one recipe book, I will um use whatever pie dough recipe they use in that book. But mm-hmm. her pie dough is so delicious and easy to work with. It's one that I would refer back to if um you know, if I need a, a standby, like an old faithful pie dough, it'll be sister pies. Yeah. Well, I just I am a big believer in following the recipe and when they provide you with a recipe for something, you should use it because it's probably good. But on the other hand, if you know that you have a delicious and reliable recipe, why risk it on this newfangled young kid on the block? I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm now pie loyal and I will be making only these pies from now on. Who can well, say? Especially if you have a whole bunch of that pie dough slack all prepared and ready in your freezer. Well, I'll tell you, I uh, busted out one the other day, so I really only have three crests left. <laughs> I, made all those, I made all those recipes, and then I'm like, I only have enough in the freezer now for three more pie crusts. Oh, well, no. That's three more delicious pies that'll be in your belly. That's and then right. you can just whip up some more. I know. I know a recipe, and I have an amazing food processor. Well, speaking of which, my dad gave me a hard time. So this is a man who has like lots of toys at home. He's got like, he's got a motorcycle and a four wheeler and he's got like a hundred different toys that are all torn apart in his garage. And he had the audacity to make fun of me for splurging for the best food processor that I could buy. And I was just like, well, my old one was 12 years old. It finally died. What do you expect me to do? Go out and get another thing that's another junky one? Or should I go and buy like the legit one that I want and that will last me another 12 years? And he just doesn't see the irony in this. I'm like, I don't have those other toys. These are my toys. Yeah. You jerk. Does, does he not listen to this podcast and realize the <laughs> amount of cooking that you do? Come on. <laughs> no, he has no idea because he also made fun of the oven choice that I would like to make. Yes. Which has like, I want a stand in, like a slide in range that has two doors and two oven compartments. And he was just like, why do you need that? Well, you could just buy one. It would be half the price of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I cook a lot. Do you realize that? Like a lot. Anyway. Just, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh. And yeah. I also was like, you know, it's very modern to have like these big one compartment ovens in the back in the day. They had those cast iron things that had like warming drawers and drawers on the top and on the bottom. And they had extra doors and two areas. And he's like, well, I guess that's true. I'm like, yeah. And in Europe, they have many people have dual ovens. So just like get off my back. Yeah. Plus. In the olden days, they had an oven, and then they usually also had, like, a wood cook stove that they heated the house with, so they would have, like, that as well. Yeah. 
Like, don't tell. Anyway, it's yeah. just funny. My husband's like, you know, you don't have to justify yourself to me. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know. I didn't have to justify myself to my husband either. When my old food processor crapped out making chocolate fudge frosting, Mm-hmm. And then I got the new one. He was like, I approve. It's <laughs> <laughs> chocolate fudge frosting. <laughs> right? Don't be a fool. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's so, I, yeah. All of those comments being said, what is your pod rating for Sister Pie? Oh, uh, what do we do? Aprons? Yes. Five yeah. aprons out of a possible five for me. I'm also giving her five. Mm, that's a really good score for this recipe book. I know, but it was so good. And it did, it delivered on exactly what it said it would. Yeah. Um, so I'm going, she has gotten like our highest score so far. So that's yeah. super fun. Um, I also like, anyway, there's just like, there's so much detail. The pictures are lovely. She, I have never had a question about how something was made. Like, it's, it's just, it's all good. Like, she describes everything so well. You're never left in the dark about a recipe. They're all delicious. They all have, like, there's a little bit of everything for everyone. Like, you can do hand pies. You can do big pies. You can do spring, summer, fall, winter. Like, it's all in there. Yeah. And being, like, having taken design in school and being a bit of a nerd about it, I also really enjoyed the feel of the paper. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I like that it's not glossy. Yeah. I am a fan. Although, it's not thin, overly thin. The pages are like nice and sturdy. So I don't have to worry like that they might rip, um, you know, accidentally. And mm-hmm. they lay really nice when the book opens. That's true. And like that embossed cover. Very I nice. know. Yeah. It's such a Anyway, <laughs> that's okay. I actually, I think about the paper a lot whenever I'm looking at recipe books. And there was the weeknight baking one. I'm like, the paper is so hefty that the book is like heavier than it should be because, yeah. because the paper is like substantial. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Sister Pie. I mean, I'm kind of sad. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind Congratulations of sad to Sister Pie. Yeah. I'm kind of sad that we're done like baking out of it because it's been so much fun slowing down and, and like really enjoying the process of making pies and, and cooking from that book. But hold on. One I have something definitely... to say about that. Go. I thought you were doing a natural transition into the next book, but I have something to say about that very thing. Yes. I know it's sad that we're done, but it's not like you can't go back. In the last yeah. week, I have gone back to brown eggs and jam jars. I went back to um, The Joy of Cooking, and I was looking at another one, and I was like, ooh, I need to go back to that recipe. It sounded really good. Now I can't remember what it was, but I was like, man. One and done. Oh, yeah. Well, that one's always on rotation. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, I think that's really cool. I was listening to our podcast and I was like, oh man, I should definitely go back to those recipes because they were really good or like Renee recommended them. And uh, yeah, I've had some, I've had some like throwbacks this week. I know. 
Mm-hmm. And I like I'll definitely go back to sister pie, especially in the fall when all of those fall flavors like come back in and I'll be making pies and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I I it definitely will not even be at risk of being culled from my oh no collection. Not with a five out of five. Come on. (laughs) So I, so I don't know how our next book is going to be in terms of having us slow down and cook, but I think it's definitely going to turn us in a bit of a different direction uh, and give us a bit of a varied um, set of recipes um, that are not pies. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our next book is, Black Girl Baking by Jarrell Gee. Yeah, I what a different direction indeed. Like we were just talking about uh, alternative ingredients, and this one seems to be packed full of them. She it has is. like vegan options, and um, she always seems to use whole wheat instead of like all purpose. It's very interesting. It's not what I was expecting at all. I know. I um. So I kind of, well, I follow a lot of different food bloggers on Instagram Mm -hmm. and one of them posted the, there's a sun-dried tomato cracker recipe and Mm. I'm not going to be able to quickly locate it now because I'm putting myself on the spot and I didn't Mm -hmm. flag it in my first roll through, but they looked amazing. And so then I... Of course, I clicked through to see, you know, what book is this out of? Who is the author? And mm-hmm. um, it is Jarell Gee. And I thought that it was fitting, at, you know, with everything that's going on with, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, that we do our part and support um, a Black cookbook author um, going into this next set of episodes. And I was so excited when you were on board with this book. And it also is kind of in line with how I like to cook sometimes and kind of, you know, use a, an alternative option that might be a little um, less high fat or less sugar sugary, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sun-dried tomato and seed crackers, page 116. Nice. Uh <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm excited for this book because I like to sort of experience new ways of cooking. I've been watching the show on Netflix. It's called The Big Family Cooking Showdown. And like, there's so much different kinds of food that I don't know anything about. And when you were like, let's support a black author. And I was like, yeah, she'll probably have some amazing flavors that I have never tried or like combinations. And then I started reading and I was like, oh, this is not what I expected at all but in a great way because she's got vegan options. Like I do have all those alternative flowers in here. And like, it's great to see someone sort of celebrating their heritage, but also putting a a healthier twist on it because that is a big problem now. Like, yes, cooking at home is, does help a lot with like controlling what you're eating and stuff. But when you're a heavy baker, like, you're eating a lot of bad stuff and uh, it's nice to have a little healthy twist and like, I don't know, just that, that sense of like whole wellness. Anyway, 
I'm excited yeah. to try it. Well, and on like on her cover, it's wholesome recipes inspired by a soulful upbringing. So it's mm-hmm. like her like really um, taking the soul food style cooking and applying it in a different direction so that it's not so heavy and like full of, you know, the bad fats and the bad carbs and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I went through and I flagged a bunch of recipes already and I was, there was an ingredient that I was not totally familiar with. So I went and read like all of her alternative ingredients uh, section, which I was like, I'm really glad I read this now to see like she talks about why she makes certain swaps and what um, inspired her to be vegan for a really long time. And why, so that's why she has a lot of vegan options and like the whole thing. I, I am really excited to get started and I'm hoping that the recipes are as delicious as they look because I would love a healthy go-to cookbook. Yes. Um, I, uh, I actually got the ebook, so your page numbers are meaningless to me. Oh no. You know what? I I don't know. I I wasn't sure if I ordered it would it arrive in time for us to start this series. Yeah. And uh I also had not done any research on the author, so I was like, I don't know if these are going to be good. I'm going to go with the ebooks. But now seeing it I'm like, well, maybe one day I'll end up with a hard copy. <laughs> um so with all the alternative ingredients that she's using, is there anything that you are unsure of? Um, I already asked you. I was like, "What the heck is coconut butter?" <laughs> yeah. I looked. I looked all through that other section. She does not talk about it at all. Sure enough, we checked the internet, and it's just like processed, desiccated coconut. And guess who's got the food processor to do it? Oh, so you're gonna so. make your own? Yeah, you can't buy it. I don't think. Oh. I didn't even think of that. I I assumed that like, you know, the uh, glass jarred nut butters that are, have various nut butters, I assumed mm-hmm. that maybe they would have coconut butter. Oh, uh, well, I did a cursory check on Walmart and on Loblaws because sometimes Walmart has like surprisingly diverse ingredients yes. and they, they didn't have it. So oh. I was like, <laughs> next stop, how to make your own. And uh, you literally just process desiccated, unsweetened desiccated coconut for like 10 minutes in your food processor until it becomes buttery and smooth, like making a nut butter. So by desiccated, you mean like coconut the sh- flakes? The shredded, yeah. Okay. I think you can start with flakes, but you, I feel like the shredded is already like that much closer to what you're going for. Okay. And it's, I, I think, it. cheaper and easier to find. The big flakes are not easy, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. then, I guess I will all... It's a good thing we got these new food processors trailed. <laughs> right? My old one would have just, like, looked at the bags of sweet of uh, coconut and been like, um, no, I'm no. out. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> yeah. I'll just lay down here and die. Never mind. <laughs> oh. All right. I'm checking. I'm checking on... Oh, you can't order it on Amazon. It is. Oh. Yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, you can get coconut mana coconut butter. It is $21 a jar. I think I'm still going with the make your own option. That sounds like um, a good plan. 
Yeah, it seems like they have a few options on Amazon, but I like I might just make my own because we'll probably use a lot of it while we're cooking from this book. Yeah. So. Our, uh, the first, oh, no, our first recipe doesn't use it, but I saw others. Doesn't it? I thought it was in the frosting. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm lying. Our first recipe okay, does cool. use a half a cup already. Yeah, and I think if you... I can't remember what the ratios were, but they were like, it lasts for a week. I'm like, cool. I'll just make a lot of recipes that have that in it. Because why not? Ah, yes. So. P.S. That recipe, like the picture looks phenomenal. What is it? What are we making, Renee? We are making not an easy bake oven. Or sorry, I added oven by accident. (laughs) Not an easy bake cake with raspberry clays on page 16. So it's basically her take um, on the Easy Bake Oven recipe, I guess. I don't know. I didn't have an Easy Bake Oven growing up, so I'm not quite sure um, like what that recipe would look like from the Easy Bake Oven. Mm-hmm. It um, was uh, teeny tiny packets with uh, like a little oil added that you would stir and then you would put it through this little conveyor belt and it would be cooked by a light bulb. It was dry, but weirdly delicious. Like, (laughs) you know how uh, cake batter from the box picture the confetti cake. That's like what they mostly taste like. I don't think I ever really cooked mine. I think I ate most of it raw. Nice. Um, good. And then my mom never bought me any refills, so that was probably a good decision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this is her take on that cake, and it's egg-free, vegan, and whole wheat. So it's a super healthy version of it. Well, super healthy for chocolate cake, right? Um, it still has a cup of brown sugar, so it's like this. It does. <laughs> But it instead of using all oil, she subs in um, half of the oil measurement is applesauce, unsweetened applesauce. And yogurt. And, yes, and dairy-free yogurt. So, um, or yogurt or dairy-free if desired. So mm-hmm. I like all of those swap-ins. Like, I know not everyone, you know, enjoys adding yogurt to a to a cake recipe, but I find it adds like a richness to it that you wouldn't get otherwise. So I'm excited to try this recipe um, and see how it, how it measures up. Those people are not your friend, Renee, because yogurt and chocolate, they just, they work. It gets that like tang and it gives that, it that light, like lovely texture. Those people are crazy. I was just telling you this week about my one of my like little treat hacks of melting mm-hmm. semi-sweet chocolate chips and then adding plain Greek yogurt to it to make like a chocolate pudding. <laughs> and it's delicious. I don't know if you've tried it yet, but <laughs> I haven't because I uh, I'm having Greek yogurt for breakfast every day and I am technically lactose intolerant. So I'm like, maybe I'll just take it easy on the uh, the old <laughs> Greek yogurt. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, some dental surgery done, so I'm on a semi, semi-liquid diet, and Renee was providing me with some much-needed support and encouragement and recipes, because it got this. Uh, and this cake bad. actually is probably going to be soft, so you will likely be able to get away with making it and just 
letting it sit in your good cheek and <laughs> soft before you can swallow it. Oh, that's a lovely picture you're painting. Um, <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to make it next week, I think, because uh, yeah. surprise, listeners, uh, we don't record every single week if we are, you know, busy doing stuff. So <laughs> I'm going to take the time next week to probably make this, and hopefully I will be recovered enough to enjoy some chocolate cake with raspberry glaze. P.S. An amazing combination. Like, who doesn't like raspberries? Who doesn't like chocolate? And the two together, just, Mm -hmm. it's going to be delicious. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And she uses real raspberries, but I might just go ahead and use, like, or she uses fresh, but I might use frozen. Yeah. Although raspberries are in season. I know. It's just the hassle of the buying them and they're not going bad in the time that you have them before you make the recipe. Yes. True. Yeah. Good point. Good point. My last basket of strawberries went bad, like, immediately. <laughs> uh, well, it's just on the cusp, right? Also, people will be listening to this in September, so raspberries yeah. are no longer in season. You can buy frozen. <laughs> um, do you have any other concerns about making this other than mixing up your own coconut butter no it seems pretty straightforward all the ingredients are available to me and i love that she provides metric um measurements for everything so like even the swap you can use pure sugar cane for the glaze or you can use 60 mils of agave which i was like that's dope because it's not a one-to-one switch then Mm -hmm. and i like that she provided the the instructions. The only yeah. problem I will have is choosing just one recipe to make on my own because I have flagged a lot of them already. I have two. <laughs> okay. It's but funny not surprising. Reading her intro, um, she she cooks. She says that she cooks very much or bakes with her senses, and mm-hmm. so like smells and like how it looks, and so she doesn't always use measurements but for the purpose of the cookbook she did both like the cups and the metric like the mm-hmm. like cups and grams so the cups and weight measurements i guess you would say so because she knew that for at home cooks who aren't hypersensitive and you know bake with their senses that we would need these these informations Oh, yeah. Well, and plus, like, she knows the consistency she's looking for. I don't necessarily know, like, what should a sea salt and butterscotch tart consistency be when I'm using coconut cream instead of, like, cream. Yes. Yeah. She has a hack either at the start or the end of the book about her coconut cream. I can't remember what it is. One of them. At the end. Yeah, I think the coconut... She puts her cans of coconut milk in the fridge all the time and then just uses the cream that comes to the top for her coconut cream. But you can also buy cans of coconut cream, right? Um, I think you can, yeah. But there's still a little bit of water there and you want it to be mm-hmm. cold when you whip it up. My sister uses um, canned coconut to whip um, as a whipped cream, like a dairy whipped cream replacement. And yeah. it it still works best when it's refrigerated, even the coconut, like even the straight up coconut cream cans. 
Yeah, I think Farm Boy has them for the same price. So if I need to, I can always go and buy the actual ingredient I need. But like, I also have coconut milk in the cupboard, and maybe it's a good excuse to run through some ingredients I already have. Yep. We'll see. So fun. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any other concerns about the recipe or are we wrapping up? I think we should wrap up because I bet this is a long episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's it for this week. Thank you to our listeners and supporters for always tuning in. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cook It Podcast and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. By rating and reviewing us, you help others find us. Bye for now. Ta-ta for now.